Welcome, everyone, and thank you for listening and subscribing to Behind the Screen. I am your host, JT Kane, and I am the Dean of Visiting Faculty and the Orchestra Manager with the New World Symphony. And I'm here with my good friend, Matt Corey, who is a bassoonist, CEO, and producer of Behind the Screen. And we are here uh, to talk about auditions, and specifically orchestra auditions, which take place behind the screen, hence the name Behind the Screen. And we hope that our discussions and our guests will be an, a resource and an inspiration for anyone who's currently taking uh, an audition or just really interested in the audition process. That was pretty good, JT. I see you're like doling out little dribs and drabs of information about yourself. I know, but I forgot to say that I'm also a violist. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty significant. It's a key point in, in why I'm doing this. This podcast is brought to you by Insight for the Blind, a very special recording studio based in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where over 100 volunteers produce talking books and magazines for the blind and physically handicapped so that all may read. See for yourself at insightfortheblind.org. Thank you to Insight for the Blind, which Matt Corey is the CEO of. So you see That's how it all combines. It all works together. One more little piece of the puzzle there. Yeah. Little by little. In a couple of years, you'll pretty much know everything about us. <laughs> Except what happened in Miami from 1998. Well, no, probably from what, 95 to 2000. You won't know anything about that. <laughs> Those records are sealed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nobody wants to know. No, no, no. So anyway, I want to welcome to Behind the Screen, John Wilson. Welcome, John. Thank you. Thank you for having me, JT. It's a pleasure to be here. This is really great that you can uh, take the time out of, I know, your, your very busy schedule, even during the, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so thank you for that. Um, so you and I, we've, we know each other uh, from New World Symphony. Yes. And right now, but you are currently in a couple of different orchestras as their orchestral keyboard. What's, what's the title? You know, it, I, I wonder that myself. It's sort of a gray area, but, but really, I would say as, a, as an orchestral keyboardist, let's say that. I like that title. So you are with a number of orchestras, right? Which, which are? That's right. Uh, so uh, San Diego and San Francisco Symphony. Wow. Previously, I was also um, a principal of, of the Reading Symphony in Pennsylvania, um, and of course, New World. Yeah. And did you, you, didn't you play with Milwaukee also? I did, you know, uh, it, that was sort of a subposition at that time, and, and it's, it still is, but in the last year, I've not had the chance to play with my wonderful colleagues there, but uh, I, I still do maintain, uh, keep in touch there, so it's, they're yeah. just a wonderful group. They are a great group. I actually have a lot of good friends that are in there, and a lot of, um, a lot of coaches that I bring to New World are, are from Milwaukee Symphony. Yes. But your positions with with San Diego and San Francisco, I, I'm curious, are they are are they a full-time position? No. And so in that in that sense it is like Milwaukee. So it's sort of based off a it's it's technically called a subposition, but it's like anything that's outside of the general orchestral complement. So it's kind of a first call thing. Yeah, okay. So it's yeah. it's almost like a it's like a per service essentially based on rep. Yes, you, you might even say I would say freelance, but there's a little. It's more okay. order to it than that, and um, yeah. that's kind of how it works. And so, when whenever they need a whenever they need a keyboardist, you're the first call, and you have first right of refusal, basically. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's. It, it, I, I hesitate to say that just because of the way that the union contracts work, but let's just put it this way. I, I know, I don't want to get myself in any kind of trouble here. Yeah, yeah, sure. But, but uh, I'm certainly in both those orchestras a, a, a lot of time, let's put it that way. Okay, so I know that they're in the past, or, orchestras have had, you know, full-time keyboardists, pianists on their roster, and that's. do you feel that orchestras are kind of moving away from that? You know, it's interesting. It's On one hand, I do, and on the other hand, I can see a situation where orchestras start moving towards that. And I think a lot of it has to do with the, um, the need for keyboardists and the variety of keyboard instruments that, and that's why I even said orchestral keyboard right. is not pianist, that we find ourselves needing. How many keys? So you, what are the keys? So you have to do, what, ch- piano, celeste? Yes, so you've got, yeah, piano, celeste, um, harpsichord, synthesizer and uh if we're right. feeling especially wild the accordion oh really i've never I, i've never been asked that but i've heard people being asked to play accordion so if somebody asked you to play accordion could you do it yeah i think i could i would make sure it's quite far into the future and uh hopefully they're not listening right now <laughs> but i would probably figure it out i don't know that's i mean i never even i never even would have thought about that but i'm sure why i mean it's a it's a it's a keyboard on on yeah of course well, hey, when that, when that happens, let me know, because I'll definitely tune into that. That would be very cool oh, to see you do that. Yes. And I know, the reason I say that, I know, I mean, you are very unique, I think. So you were at New World for, for four, four seasons. Yes. And I knew you even before that in, in Aspen, in the Aspen Music Festival. But I, I just know how eclectic you are in your playing. You can play pretty much any style that that's called upon i mean from harpsichord baroque you know to to the classical rep to jazz to you know modern music to really i mean you have just a great ability to really kind of you know fit your you know into the style you play in in that style do you need that as an as a as an orchestral keyboardist well thank you so much for that those kind words i I think you do uh i mean you certainly need other things but a, a big part of it which I think makes it unique is that often we go outside of the traditional classical realm and you find yourself having to do a pops concert where you, you have to play sort of mm-hmm. jazz or Broadway transposition. And like you said, yeah. from, from Ligeti to Bach, you never know. Yeah. And I heard you play once um, a Scott Joplin. Yes. I think it was, which was so good. It was so oh, amazing because it, you. you really just brought, brought me back to that time. Well, you know, I really wanted you to imagine you had a spittoon near you and you were in yeah. one of those 1800s bars and things were happening. I, you know, I, and here I was spitting and without a spittoon. I know. You haven't lived yet until you know. you've done that, really. So. Yeah, you haven't lived until you've been backstage with me spitting. That's really <laughs> right. kind of what it boils down to. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about uh, auditions, uh, keyboard yeah. auditions for orchestra. So how, how did, I, in, when, I, when I asked you um, to be on the show, I started yeah. thinking about, you know, some obviously questions that I wanted to know. And I realized I have no idea how a piano audition works. I have never proctored one. I've never sat in one. I've never. So walk me through how an an audition works. So in a way, I I feel the same way because so many of my colleagues who are string players, I mean, that is just the bread and butter of their existence. You're always doing auditions. Mm -hmm. With piano, it's also weird because we have different instruments to play. So, you know, you have a list of excerpts and depending on the orchestra, they might ask you to do only piano. They might ask you to do piano and celeste. 
and in some cases organ. I've, I think we actually we left that out. Um, a we lot did, of, yeah. We a lot of times that. you're called to play organ. Um, I think it's a little bit less so because there are truly organists that are that are specialists. Yeah. But so a standard audition would have you know your Stravinsky, Petrushka, Appalachian Spring on piano and probably Nutcracker on the Celesta, and yeah. then you might uh, have to do some sight reading or maybe do some more obscure excerpts. And there's usually rounds. Uh, you'll have a preliminary round to eliminate people, and uh-huh. then you'll work your way maybe two or three rounds, depending on how many people. And um, then that's what it is. Okay. So, but it, so are your are your rounds typically behind a screen, like I, with yes. like violin or, or instrumental? Yeah. So they are. So you're on stage alone with a piano, a celesta, whatever it is that they, that the, the list asks you to play, and then so you don't see the panels, they don't see you. That's right. I will say in my Milwaukee audition, which was my first sort of big audition, um, the first round was blind, and then the next and only round was for Maestro Edo Devart and his assistant Yaniv mm-hmm. Dinor, and that was without the screen. So it was just those two people. Just those two people in the final round. In that round with them, are, do you have to? Because a lot of playing keyboard in an orchestra is following the conductor. I mean, it's it's kind of right. obvious for everybody in an orchestra, but it's very specific to keyboard playing, right? Yes. Did he conduct anything and ask you to play along? Or No. And, and you know, it's interesting because I think you can tell a lot from how someone plays an excerpt, especially like Petrushka. If somebody's varying their tempos every three seconds, you know, probably they're yeah. not going to follow you that well or they don't listen very well or something. But, you know, you're right. I think... I, I assumed there would be conducting, but it's also when you conduct a, a keyboardist, you're also usually having them blend and play with other instruments. And that really is the other half of the equation mm-hmm. that is make or break in, in the real world, I would say. Yeah. How, how about your San Francisco audition? So my, that was sort of a unique audition scenario because my first foray with that orchestra was I was called to play Petrushka. And on mm. their Carnegie Hall tour, and that was essentially my audition, which I didn't realize till after. Oh, yes. What? So was the keyboardist at the time? Because there was a full-time keyboardist there for Robin for a really Robin long Sutherland. Time. Yeah, amazing, just a legend of the of the genre, yes. so to speak. Indeed. So he didn't go on tour, so they called you. Yes, and uh, you know, I, I thought to myself, could this is worse than any audition? Because you're playing with a new orchestra. <laughs> You don't know how yeah. they you don't know how they play how the dynamics are and you're playing essentially the the among the hardest excerpts you could possibly play the whole thing not just the solo excerpts. Yeah, so. and so so to be clear, I mean the 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 Petrushka excerpt is a very big it's it's a solo part for the piano essentially at in this in this spots, right? That's right. And you know, Stravinsky originally conceived it as as a piano concerto and then it became a sort of concertant to what it is now. So it's got some really gnarly writing and, and passages where it's just you, no one else. So Yeah. And and also, I mean, for those that don't know about the position of the keyboard, you're already you're in the back. Yes. Yes. Right? So so you've got additional <laughs> challenges of, of playing with yeah, exactly. string players in the front and, and your your trumpet and oboe sometimes just, you know, fifty to seventy feet away from you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you change it. Sometimes they move the piano, so you're always having to adapt and be flexible. Hey, what do you do, though, when you... Because you can't carry a piano around with you. So you're kind of at the mercy of wherever you go. Have you ever, have you ever gone to a, a place that just has, like, the, a, a really shitty piano? Oh, absolutely. And I'm not going to name any names here, but I... Yeah, no, no. <laughs> but, you know, you never know what you're going to get. And, and sometimes the, the biggest challenge is you can't say, 
oh, excuse me, maestro, but this key doesn't right. work the way I want it to because that's, you're fired, you know? So really, you just have to have a sound in your head and force that piano to make that sound at all costs. Yeah, make it. Yeah, you gotta kind of have to adjust to it. But I can't imagine there's been that many places that have had, you know, bad instruments. No, the the, the big issues you run into are with harpsichords because, as an instrument, they're really temperamental, and synthesizers, yeah. which anything with electronics, there's always going to be problems. Of course, yeah. I have the utmost respect for pianists. Not just because I think about what it would be like if someone handed me like a different bassoon at every venue that I went to, but actually because I started taking piano lessons a couple years ago and eventually got a piano in my studio. And there's zero translation from what I can do on my upright Yamaha to what I do on the baby grand at my teacher's house. It's like a totally different thing like I've never practiced before. Then you tack on all the nuance that great pianists put into their playing the dynamics between the fingers even of the left hand versus the right hand like i don't i have no idea how you can play on a foreign instrument right out of the gate and not make excuses to a conductor well you know what i make my excuses all in my head and it's like it's i wouldn't call it road rage it's like piano rage but basically you know after you i i share your feelings because i was at one point the same way and eventually you you play enough of them and then you just say it's just 88 keys, they're all the same. Or at least that's what you convince yourself. Like, this is amazing to me. It's not even a matter, though, of like one being good or bad. It's just a matter of it being so different than what you've practiced on. Absolutely. I was just going to say, because... So there are, there are different makers of, of, of pianos. You know, Yamaha, Steinway. What are some, some others? I can't even remember. Oh, you know, you, you can go with Baldwin, Fazioli, uh, Bosendorfer... Kawhi, um, we, and you can just go right down the list. So what are some of the differences between, between those? I mean, the, the, the touch and things like that. Absolutely. So I think the most striking differences are, say, within one brand, in this case, Steinway. So you've got their, mm -hmm. their Hamburg Steinway, the European style, and the New York Steinway. And, you know, case in point in San Francisco Symphony, they have both of those instruments, and you get to choose which one you want for the piece. So, for example, I was doing Ravel with uh, Maestro Sopeka Sound, and, and I chose the, uh, the Hamburg for more subtlety mm -hmm. of tone and, and evenness of sound among the range, so that's something characteristic to that. And it's, yeah. got, a, it's got a sort of a, a more round sound, whereas the New York Steinway has a lot of bold personality and a, a re very rich, resonant bass that pops out. And so I, I would choose that for their Stravinsky, because you want that cut and you want that, that grittiness that it lends itself to. No, that's fascinating. A lot of piano, I think, is, is sort of creating an illusion for the listener. You know, we can't sustain, so we have to create the illusion of sustain. And that concept gets translated with other, with, uh, like you were saying, different instruments. You have a sound in your head and you want to create the illusion that, hey, this piano that isn't maybe the, the greatest in terms of key depth, I can show you a lot of subtlety. And, and you just convince people with, with sheer will and, and yeah. illusion that it's working. Yeah. But you don't have the option of, of, of another orchestra. Like if you go to another orchestra, you can't say, well, I want to use this type of piano. This, you know, they, you, right. You're kind of stuck with what you, they have, right? You're kind of stuck with it. And you, know, you, you tend to learn the quirks of all the instruments and depending on where you are. And you, you're sort of, that's, that is what it is. Also, it, it changes when you have people on stage that are in different positions because your, your instrument's resonating differently. And mm -hmm. 
you just always have to be Mr. Cool and I'm just going to be okay with whatever happens, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's a skill that you learned over time, right? All right. So you talked about, you know, you can play, you know, one, one Steinway for Ravel and another Steinway for Stravinsky. What if you had both of those pieces on the same program? Are, are right. you able to, to be like, hey, I, can we switch this out at intermission? <laughs> well, <laughs> that would be exceptional uh, diva behavior now, wouldn't it? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are some pianists. We won't name who oh, they are, but I'm yeah. sure that we, we know well, a few of them. No, sometimes I, I put that stage crew through Hexam, but they're, they're just wonderful. <laughs> there. No, but really, at, in general, you should be able to just kind of deal with it and, and you make your sound the way it is. And the subtleties I'm speaking about, they're, they're so small. But I just really like, I have this sound image that I want to go for in a piece, and I, I get so obsessed, almost neurotic, that it, this has to happen this way, and so I'll, I'll make a big deal out of it. But these are very small differences. Yeah. That's actually what I was going to ask. Uh, some of the differences between the two, the, let's say the New York and the Hamburg Steinway. Yeah. Are these differences that the audience would, even a sophisticated listener would, would hear, or is it more for you and your colleagues and the maestro? You know, I think it's I think it's both, and I've I've always thought that there's a level of our artistry that musicians we convince ourselves like oh the audience won't really know, but I think they feel it. They may not be able to articulate it, but everyone knows the difference between a really great performance and an and a, an okay performance. They can't place mm-hmm. it, but they they walk away and say, hey, I want to see that person again or whatever. I'm gonna go watch TV or yeah, something. I totally agree. Sometimes the the difference between awesome and something that you remember in twenty years is the sum of all those little micro Absolutely. improvements along the way, especially at the highest level which you're playing at. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Yes, and a lot of it is is beholden to the tuner, and you have to have a good relationship with them, and you know to have a have a language where you can communicate and say, hey, this is this needs to be tweaked. If you have that luxury of even doing that, yeah. right. Yeah, because if you're going to different places, you not you don't know, you don't know who the tuner is, but you know who the tuner is in in San Francisco. Yes, you know who yes. that who it is in in, in San Diego. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, um, and oh, you know I I'm bad with tuners sometimes. Is all I'm gonna say. Oh, yeah. You know, but but I think they in a way appreciate it. At least I hope they do because they they're sort of they're such craftsmen, and I think a, yeah. all all these great tuners they always want to know kind of what what is a pianist pianist need to say to a tuner to get this artistic result because a lot of times it's two different worlds which is also sort of what's different about pianists than than say an oboist they make their own tuning and a pianist plays what a tuner has done in a lot of ways yeah so can can a piano tuner uh, adjust i mean because there's there's so much that goes into into a keyboard but there's there are pads and things like that can they fix it the way like if you are you, you know playing with san francisco you say look I like my pads a certain way, or I like the pedal a certain way, or, I mean, I, how does that work? Right. Well, I try and never really kind of make them do anything so invasive to the instrument, because when you get into real adjustments, now you're talking about a 12 to 26 hour, and I'm talking just sheer work hour, um, wow. where you remove the instrument, you start shaving things down, readjusting, moving, see, tightening, yeah. loosening, and, and that can have long-term bad effects on the instrument. So I always say... The majority of it falls on me to make it with my fingers. Okay. But yeah, sometimes you ha- you really have to develop what each e- each tuner's trained differently, and they have a set of words that they respond to, 
And uh, someone who taught me a lot about that was Ron Honeycutt at New World. And we, we have mm-hmm. had many discussions about how to talk to tuners. And he's really great. And so many of the tuners I've, I've worked with are just phenomenal. And they, they really know what they're doing. Both Matt and I have a really good friend who, who's a pianist. And uh, he actually made his way through college tuning, tuning pianos. Absolutely. Uh, Adam Alexander, if you're listening, man, shout out to you, bud. Uh, anyway, so, <laughs> so okay, so uh, you had an audition at Milwaukee. Yes. What, what about uh, San Diego? How was that audition? Yeah, so they, um, they had, I would ca- call it a national audition that, that was listed, and, and I think there were people from all over the country that were there, um, mm-hmm. again, as kind of a, a first call scenario. And for that, it was uh, piano, celeste, and optional harpsichord. What, what do you mean by optional? Well, I think, you know, they, they recognize that asking a sort of a traditional pianist that might be, say, really good on the keys to play, uh, that plays Petrushka, to now play, say, a Brandenburg harpsichord concerto, th- those are very, very different skill sets. And mm-hmm. I think they were thinking maybe, maybe if one person can't do both jobs, they might find two people that can do each equally well or comparably well. So that's why it was optional. It, it, harpsichord is, a, is, I would say, the most strikingly different instrument when you talk about all the keyboard instruments. Yeah. Yeah, because piano, you know, the keys are, are spread a little different than celeste and even than, than harpsichord, mm-hmm. right? Mechanism's different, yeah. There are times that you have to, that an orchestral keyboardist will have a piano and a celeste right next to you, right? So you're, you're playing piano and all of a sudden you got to turn because parts are written for one person who plays both instruments. Is that a big change? Is that a, hard, a difficult thing you have to do? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the, the biggest culprits of that composition-wise is the great John Williams because he will often call for <laughs> synthesizer, piano, and, and the celesta. And so you will sometimes yeah. be going from one to the next or at the same time. And he's such a master of writing that you know it's possible and it's just on you to make it happen. Again, for those of you that are listening that, that don't know about this, and, and I, I only learned about it when I became a personnel manager, but a lot of instrument, let's say um, oboe, they also can play English horn. When you're in a professional orchestra, you get doubling for it. If you're, if you're playing on something on an instrument and then they ask you to play something a little bit different, you get what's called doubling. You get a little extra money. Is that the same for keyboard? Absolutely. In fact, you, in the scenario I described, you would get tripling. Nice. Yeah, so I'm in it for the triples, baby. That's it. Shout, out, it. shout out to the union for that one, right? Right. Thanks. Thanks, guys. <laughs> no, but really, and, and it's funny because at first I thought, oh, this isn't really like, is it that, is it really worth tripling? But you know what? It really, it really is because, boy, if it goes badly, you're, you're in deep trouble and it can train yeah. you at the whole orchestra, so... If you if it's on your contract, and you play oboe and English horn, then you don't get the doubling. But if it's something, if it's not on your contract, and you end up having to play the instrument, flute, and all of a sudden you now you have to play piccolo, you do get that doubling. So that that's great that you get to do that. So in in a John Williams, you would you would get tripling. Absolutely, and you know sometimes you get these gray areas where you're playing a synthesizer part that then calls for organ. And mm-hmm. you, you know, you, you might need to have a real organ to, to pull off this part, but it can be done on the synth. And so then you right. wonder, is it, is it quadrupling? Is it really tripling? And, but, you know, let's just not be greedy about it. We'll call yeah. it. Yeah. You know. But you also get your principal bonus, yes. too. So you get principal, double, double, double sometimes. So it really adds up to, like, you're, you're almost making twice what 
the normal sideman would it, be making. It really does. And sometimes you even get paid a, a solo fee on top of that if you do. A, sometimes I've done solo solo performances in San Francisco, and you will get that as well. Hey, so in your um, in just so I want, real quick, I want to go back to to your um, San Diego audition. Was yeah. was that behind a screen as well? That was behind a screen. It was a single round, and it's the standard setup where it's carpeted, so you can't hear someone walk yeah. in. They don't speak at all. And in this case, I went to three instruments: the the piano, the harpsichord, and each lesson. How many rounds was it? That was only one. And it was a lot of repertoire too. It was a, you know, they, they all, all of them were in, in one sense, you know, Milwaukee and, and San Diego and Reading, they were all very long mm-hmm. repertoire lists for piano. Yeah. So it was just the one round you just played the one time and then they chose someone. Yes. And wow. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I, I think with playing, I, I don't know how it is for other instruments, but I think you, you can just hear on one excerpt and probably within 10 seconds. It's very quick decision, I would imagine. Yeah. So it's important you you nail the first thing that you go in with. Yeah, I think that's good advice for everybody. Yeah. You play a lot of solo. You play a lot of chamber music. Do you consider yourself an orchestral pianist? I mean, what is it? What does it mean to be an orchestral pianist? I know it's it's such a. I've always I have. It's a philosophy question, really, and it's something I think about a lot because to me. The piano is just the piano, and and yeah. you know, say you're doing a concerto, say you're doing rock two, you know, you're accompanimental in, in some passages of that, mm-hmm. and you're of course mostly soloistic. And then there's moments in orchestral keyboard where you're accompanying and soloistic. And so to me, it just play the play the music the way it wants to be, it needs to be played. And um, I don't I don't like to sort of behave differently. There are different skill sets, but I just yeah. tr- try to just be the best musician I can be in in whatever context. Yeah, I would. I mean, there definitely are different skill sets because when you are, when you do have to accompany, I mean, I know pianists that just wouldn't be able to go sit down in an orchestra and know how yes. to play, you know, one of these pieces that needs that needs the subtlety of of being able to follow, being able to blend, you know, not being not being the 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 main feature. Um, did that take you time? Did, was it just kind of like it came natural or did your first time ever sitting in orchestra, did you just be like, oh, what? I don't know what the hell I'm doing? You know, it's interesting. I came at orchestra piano from uh, even a, a different realm because I was at the time at, at Peabody, I was doing a, a fellowship there as mm-hmm. part of a graduate assistantship uh, playing for opera. And I think in opera, oh, yeah. you really learn how to follow the conductor because there's with Puccini, things are changing more than they'll ever change in anything else. And so when I went to sit down, you know, at Aspen and things like that, actually it was just fairly easy to tell you the truth because yeah. once you've done opera, you've done it all with, with following. So are you saying that when you were studying piano in college that you didn't necessarily set out to be an orchestral pianist? You were just studying piano and you were going to just kind of see where it took you? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, as a pianist, you really just have to kind of we're, we're all on the same path, you know. You you learn your your standard repertoire, and you and you play as well as you can. And as I'm doing that, I'm thinking, well, look, you have to. I, I've always thought that there's so much music out there that is not just solo piano. There's there's great chamber works. There's obviously concerti. There's these mm-hmm. weird hybrid pieces. And so I just had this voracious attitude that I just wanted to learn as much music as possible. And I enjoy playing with other people as well. So there's a I, I like that aspect of ensemble because solo piano is, is a very lonely thing. It's just you all the time. Absolutely. And I think you have to mix it up a bit or else you go crazy after a while. At least I would. Mm-hmm. When you think about being a soloist on, on piano, 
or any any keyboard instrument. I kind of equate it to a little bit of being a violinist, being a concertmaster, um, and also being you know, or being in a section and, and also playing playing solos and things like that. You have to know where to fit in. You have to you got to know your role. Exactly, exactly. Uh, that is very similar to orchestral keyboard with with the concertmaster relationship. Is you you've got one foot in one world and one in the other, yeah. and you're you're a follower, you're a leader, you're you're changing dialogues and everything like that. How do you prepare for for an upcoming audition? I mean, what do you do as far like you get the list? You you say San Diego, you know, you you they they announce the audition coming up. I mean, how do you prepare for that? Well, you know, I just I think to myself, you can't control necessarily what happens in the future, but you sure can prepare for it. And I will just practice mm-hmm. as much as possible. Uh, I would I prepared for that in the same way I would prepare for just a regular concert with orchestra. And so what I do is I learn every. I look at the full score and I learn every other part in the orchestra and know when I'm playing with them and when I'm not. And it takes many hours, but it really changes the way you conceive of your role. And that it's all about getting that consistent interpretation that's also accurate. Yeah, we, I've heard that a few times from from people that have been on the show about knowing how important it is to know everything that's going on you know, around you. Because when you're playing a solo, other people are playing with you. Yes. Yes, and you know, so, so you've got to know about you've got to know about what they're what they're doing, so you know you don't kind of step all over all over them. Absolutely, and and it, a lot of that is, I think, just as a musician, it's like an actor learning lines. You have to know the whole cast lines in a way. I, I really like that. That's a good way to look at it. You have to know what the lines are before and after what you're doing. Um, so so you, I mean, I I know I think I know the answer, but I mean, how how many hours do you practice in a day? Oh yeah. So you know the answer is as much as possible, but it, I don't want to mislead. You know, there's days where I do a lot and days where I don't. I think the most important thing is to make your practice functional and useful and efficient because you can mm-hmm. spin your wheels for ten hours and. You won't sound as good as someone that practices efficiently for maybe one hour. Who was it that said if you're practicing when? Well, okay, I mean, this doesn't apply to everybody, but if you're practicing more than three hours, you're doing it wrong. Oh, I want to say it was it. It might have been Rubenstein. I don't know. It, it, there's there's a lot of variations on it. A lot of people have said that. Yeah, uh, it's it is true. You know, in in a sense, I just know I know pianists like to practice a lot. Some of it is is just the amount of rep. Yeah, and you guys are asked to do an incredible amount of rep. How do you handle? How do you handle the nerves? How do you handle the, the when you're on stage when you're playing? Um, it, do you go into a different mindset? Do you study, um, you know, yoga? Do you do meditation? Do you take beta blockers? Is there, how do you deal with your with yourself when you're on stage? You know, I have no ritual at all. I don't even really like to warm up, but I do really. I mean, it, it's weird. Like if I warm up, great. If I don't, it is what it is. Yeah. I've never tried beta blockers, but I've never really felt the need to. I, I think for some people it works great. I feel like it would not work for me. I will say I like to drink coffee because it gets me kind of pumped up to go. Oh, wow. There you go. You know, so that's that's my dirty little secret coffee. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> The damn coffee. I know. Yeah, right? I, you know, you got to buy it illegally and all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah this is a black market of coffee. And <laughs> really, I think when I um, go into a performance, I, I think... There's an audience, there's a message we have to communicate, and maybe some things go great, maybe they don't. That'll depend on my practice. And then you just, you go for that roller coaster ride, and you just yeah. go with it. It's, Did you get nervous for your auditions? I'm trying to think. Uh, I'm sure I had a little bit of nerves, I'm sure. Um, yeah. I, I think if I didn't, there might be something 
like if you're too catatonic, you won't even play in an exciting manner. So you get that mm-hmm. that sort of good adrenaline, and then you you just you just play. I think for me, it just feels like focus more than it does nerves. It just feels like okay, here's mm-hmm. this is it, nail it. Right. Yeah. So you come. You have the mindset of you're just going to go in. You're going to lay it down. You've done the work. This is you're going to show them what you've done, and then the rest is it's it's up to them. Absolutely. And you know what? A lot of it. If I ever do have nerves, as soon as I touch the piano, it just feels like you know you're home. Oh, I know this thing. And yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's that's a good feeling. I mean, when, I don't play as often as I did, obviously before, but um, whenever I play, I just. And when I was a kid, when I was growing up, when I was in college and things like, even if I had a cold, if I wasn't feeling well, when I started to play, I forgot about it. Isn't it amazing how that is? And I think that's just sort of what makes us people just gravitate towards one instrument. It just feels like an mm-hmm. extension of you versus another yep. thing, which is you might as well give me a screwdriver and tell me to build something with it. I don't know. Yeah, right. <laughs> it says it all right so there, it, actually. Yeah, well, yeah, give me a screwdriver and it better have vodka and orange juice. But... Um, <laughs> agree when you were at new world as a piano fellow at new world symphony we asked you to do so much and i know that but kind of what what is what was your role at new world because you did a ton and we asked the keyboard fellows to do a lot of work oh you know in a sense though i i it may sound crazy like in a negative way but i loved every second of it and if i had to go back i'd do it again and say hey even more because what yeah. I what I learned at New World is just uh, is the most in, to me in a way the most important part of my musical education, and, and that's not to discount anything before or after. Right, of course. But when when you're at New World, you, you are truly delving in all the roles as a keyboardist. So you're at you're at doing concertos, you're doing chamber music, company of singers. Um, you do what is very unique to keyboard, which is you accompany with conductor soloists. In their meetings, yeah. so so like with MTT and, and all the guest conductors, I would have to learn violin concerti or things for singer, and that is another skill I forgot to mention, which is being able to reduce a full score either from the full score or from a reduction itself, mm-hmm. and that's a whole other skill that that oftentimes one has to do for orchestras as a general thing. Just to kind of um, expand on that, so that's when. You have a soloist who's going to come play a concerto with the orchestra, and maybe it might be the first time that they've worked with the conductor, or it's a new piece that they've played before. And so you're asked to go in there, and essentially, with the conductor, with the soloist, you're asked to play the the, the accompaniment to that concerto or whatever it is that you're playing. And so, in in I know this for a fact. We we used to ask you like the night before. Oh, hey, John, by the way, so and so wants to do a, a conductor solo reading. Are you available? And you would be like, and you were always available. I mean, it was you were always very, very welcome. But you have to be able to sight read. You have to like, and like you said, you have to be able to reduce all of that into one. I don't know. You're telling me that you're looking at the orchestral score and playing that with the soloist. Yes, actually, the most sort of unique time I had to do that was recently in San Francisco Symphony. They they were having their um, associate timpani auditions and section percussion, and part of that was mm-hmm. me having to reduce the Strauss-Rosen-Cavalier uh, excerpt on, on timpani with piano accompaniment. Wow. Okay, well, you had, you, they gave you a heads up, right? They did, but, you know, there's a lot of rules with auditions, and you can't tell someone really at a certain point what it's going to be for just all sort of safety reasons of people mm-hmm. not letting excerpts leak. And so I, I really didn't have that much time, to tell you the truth. Uh, and I may have had 
knowledge of the piece, but of course the opera is huge. It's many hours long. And so I didn't know what 30 bars it was going to be. And also there's no reduction that exists of that format. So I I had to sort of compare it. And then I just eventually read from the full score, which was kind of a nightmare and a little scary, but yeah. That's incredible. That is incredible. And it sounds awful. Yeah, it does sound right. awful. <laughs> and, and, and so everyone's going, come on, man, play that, play that piano, accompany that timpani. You're thinking, oh boy, like how, how is this going to sound? But you really have to think these, these people's auditions are sort of in your hands. If, that's another scary thing is yeah. you really have a lot of responsibility. So I, I, you aim to just be perfect 100% of the time because you have to be equal for everyone. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. And then that, that's crazy because you've never met this person or these people that you're accompanying for. If something happens, you screw up, that's their audition. JT, I would be shoveling so many beta blockers into my mouth to do that. Oh, my mouth someone. and other places. <laughs> right. Every orifice possible. Horse tranquilizers Just in the forehead. Yeah. Jammed with beta blockers. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is with these uh, scenarios, and I can't speak for other orchestras, but many times you, you purposely don't have a real rehearsal. And that's to see, hey, can that player can they just jive with somebody else really, really good in this moment or, or are they going to yeah. mess it up? So it's a unique experience, but I've heard many stories of other pianists and other orchestras have to do that. That's, that's really intense. Yes. So, so how, how do you, how do you handle your work life balance? I mean, you've, you're going from, so you, do you live current, where do you live currently? So right now I, I do live in San Diego and okay. it, it provides a great base for me to be able to work here and, and fly up to San Francisco and, and, and Milwaukee on occasion and also do, uh, frankly, outside of orchestral stuff, things in New York or, or wherever, Philly. And yeah, you've recordings. got a huge schedule. Yeah, yeah. So it, it works out for me. I think I really love being here, and I've got a piano here, so I'm happy. How do you handle all of this, you know, you, all of your work, and how do you, you know, how do you juggle it all around? Well, you know, I, I've always had a knack at sight reading. And I find that it it really doesn't take me that long to learn a piece. So I think a lot of my work gets done in the initial sight read. And then I just kind of tighten it up over a day or two. I mean, I'm not speaking for everything. Of course, there's things you slave for a year on. But, but, you know, a lot of it, I just try to learn. I don't have a lot of patience when I learn music. So I like to just get it done quickly. (laughs) Yeah. And then I practice a lot. Honestly, it's been really kind of great that you've been able to be, you've, you've been on the show because I, I again i have i had no idea about how it, how a, a, an orchestral audition was run now i know at least when i have when i have to to run an, run one in the future um i know what to expect before we finish i just kind of i'm kind of curious what what um do you have any advice for those pianists out there keyboardists out there that are are looking to take some auditions yeah i would say the biggest thing is to just start getting real life experience if you can in your mm-hmm. conservatory or school orchestra and maybe talk to the conductors at your school and say, hey, you know, if, if they want to practice their Marriage of Figaro overture for their audition, maybe you can play the, the woodwind parts and you can learn how to follow them and they can learn how their technique is and everything else. So the biggest thing is, is, is experience and the rest is just on you to play well. Yeah, hopefully they do. Yeah. What I want to do is, I want to have you back once once this you know we kind of go back to to, to normal, and I want to I want to check in on you and see and see how everything's going because I know that that there I mean I have some more questions I have some follow up questions I want to I want to check yeah. in with, uh, with you 
uh, in the future. But John, thank you for for being on on the show and and for for helping us understand what it is that an orchestral keyboardist does. I'm surprised you want to have him back because I mean he's pretty informative, but he seems to have a really terrible attitude about music. <laughs> yeah, well that's true. You know. Oh really? I just a, I, just total disdain for it. Yeah. <laughs> just I'm some bitter jaded person here. <laughs> yeah, and the idea that you can only play one one instrument only all the time. Right. Exactly. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Just terrible. I guess I still can't get over the fact that that you have to play. You have to be able to to adjust to all like whatever they hand you. And they can hand you a cardboard box and be like, here, go. Oh, well, you know, the biggest thing is sometimes you get different amounts of keys uh, on the Celesta, and that's something you I had to learn quickly about, that there's that could be disorienting. Oh, wow. Yeah. I would imagine. I would imagine that that's not, yeah, all of a sudden you're, all of a sudden you're hitting wood when you're supposed to be hitting a key. All of a sudden I've, I've knocked a bow out of a bass player's arm or something. <laughs> yeah. No, that's all right. Now that we're talking about instruments again, real quick. The other thing about the electronic instruments is that what I've noticed over the years is that no one ever puts any thought into programming a decent patch for Mm -hmm. those electronic instruments. They just trot them out onto the stage, put up patch 00 or 01 for concert grand, and that's it. So it's like heaped with reverb. Do you fool at all with the settings? Yeah, I actually come with a computer program where I create all of my own patches in an extremely high way, and I hook that up to a synth through my laptop, and I try to get like Hollywood-level patches that you would use in, in those film scores, and I use them for very generic things because I'm, I'm, I only want the highest quality because nothing's wow. worse than hearing a really bad patch. Everyone just... It, it That's takes, really awesome. That is awesome. So do you use Mainstage for that, or does that not exist anymore? I do use Mainstage, but I run what's called Contact through Mainstage, which is... Oh, sure. Very, you know, it, it, I think it has the highest quality. You get a lot of issues from a technical standpoint, but um, it works out really well. And I use that program when I worked with um, John Adams on his uh, piece, I Still Dance. I sort of wrote the initial patch for that concert uh, out of a bunch of different organ sounds, and that was it. Did you get paid for that? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Free. Okay. Yeah. Free, I was going to say, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> that was free. But it was, and he's, uh, he was just incredible because talk yeah. about a man that knows synthesizers. Uh, as soon as he came up to the synth and he start talk, starts talking about different stuff, I thought, oh boy, I better know what I'm doing because he's, he knows yeah. everything. Yeah. Yeah. Cause usually I see a whole bunch of production people hanging around the, the synthesizer trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Like what's this do? And they're pushing buttons, yeah. So that's right. that. That's got to make you a little bit more marketable if if people know that you have that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, and it's the sort of thing where it's almost the the rule rather than the exception that you know one minute before the film rehearsal starts, your synth will stop working or you will be missing all patches. <laughs> and so <laughs> I look forward to that every time. Oh okay. yeah. Well, at least you know it's going to happen because yeah. there will be some people that don't. All of a sudden, you know, and they freak out. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, John Wilson, you are you are uh, the keyboardist um, extraordinaire. It's um, look again. I can't say enough about about your playing. I've I'm, I've been fortunate enough to hear it. If you haven't heard it, you have a you have a website, right? They, they can go on and check out some stuff. John Wilson Piano dot com for both my website and Instagram, and I've got sort of uh, projects there getting posted and uh, on yeah. my YouTube channel as well. I highly recommend um, listening to, to John play because I can't, I can't say enough about him. Thank you again for being on Behind the Screen. We'll talk soon. <laughs>